And we're live, Claire. How you been? Yeah, okay. How have you been? <laughs> oh, well, you know what? It's like pretty shit during isolation for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, no, nah, it's not ideal, but getting through it. So, for those who don't know, Claire is from Claire Sanders School of Dance. Yep. It's in the name. Yeah. <laughs> and she runs a dance studio. I do. Well, she used to until she rolled her ankle oh, yesterday. So she's traumatic. now an Olympian on a crutch. Which is not good. No, it's not. But it's still it's still running. Yeah. It's happening. Online. Online. How's that been adapting to the whole COVID-19, everything's online? I mean, it's actually been quite good. Um, it's shown me that there's like a whole nother kind of industry for dance that's out there that I probably will utilise a bit more once we go back. Um, but, I mean, in terms of my studio, it hasn't been amazing because we mostly have small children. And as you could imagine, a small child just can't engage online. So once COVID-19 restrictions are lifted, do you think online dance is still going to be a thing? Or I think online dance um, can be a thing as like if you're sick or like mm. you can't get to the studio or just like many different things. Um, I remember right before COVID-19 happened, I had gastro. And my only other employee that I had had um, glandular fever. So I had to cancel three nights worth of classes and I think I worked out that I lost over a grand from doing that. But now looking onto this, I could have, you know, offered parents an online class and another free online class and school holidays and like that aspect, it could have yeah. worked. So does like being, being online, that obviously a lot more flexibility for people when they're yeah. doing it and travel and that sort of thing. Does that make it easier for... <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> oh my gosh. But does that make it easier for people to get involved with it? Like, does that... Yeah, so it works for some people more and it doesn't work for other families. So it basically just depends on the child and the family. A lot of parents haven't done it online because they see it as they've still got to babysit their child while they do it. Yeah. And a lot of them are working from home and the times are still kind of in work hours for the little kids because I have to do them around four o'clock when we'd normally do a class because... If you do it any later, then, mm. you know, they're going to be tired. Some kids have already gone back to school. Some are still in childcare. But for parents, I think for a lot of it, they want their, especially with the little kids, they want their child to dance, but they also want just some time where they're not with them. Yeah. And someone else is leading them and guiding them and teaching them new things. But through this, they have to supervise their child the whole time and they have to set up the online. Like, their child can't do it themselves. Yeah, that, the age barrier makes it quite difficult for a child to manage themselves. But the older kids, they've engaged really well because they've seen it as a challenge. Like, for COVID-19, they're bored. So you set them a challenge. I set one of my students a challenge of trying to do a headstand, and now she is working really hard to learn how to do a headstand because there's nothing else for them to do. So So what technology are you using to pull all this off? Is this through Zoom? or Just through Zoom, and I have um, just found a couple of YouTubers that have got really educational links that I then also send through to the kids as just extra technique because um, for Zoom, it's really, really hard to connect with the kids, but I'm also not at my studio, so I don't actually have the space Mm. or the facilities to be able to show them everything the way I could in the studio. See, these people are professionals who have a huge studio, have it professionally filmed, and they've got the equipment to be able to do things step by step, so... With that learning, on top of the online learning, I'm able to get the same point across as if I was in the studio. So, 
when the restrictions all over, do you think you'll still offer online dance as a service, just as a way to, you know, have different revenue sources coming in to the business? I don't know if I'll necessarily offer online. Something I have worked out, um, which I've still not even spoken to you about, about working with you for it, but I'm looking at doing mobile dance classes. I have found that through COVID-19, a lot of parents, besides the part of wanting them to actually have education from someone else, they also can't be bothered sometimes to bring their child to dance. So when you say mobile, you mean... You go to them. You go to them. You go to their backyards and do classes. I'm doing it for my cousin at the moment. Um, we, Our family's isolated together. So because of that, I used to go to her house and did backyard dance classes. And the parents were able to pay a higher rate for the class, but yep. their child was entertained safely in the backyard and they continued to work. So it was honestly like the perfect setup. And we're really wanting to target that for kids who either have um, learning disabilities, anxiety, physical disabilities, the children that when it, not just for the convenience of parents, but for a child that has something that is so crippling that when they get to class, they are so nervous, Mm. they can't do it. If you start it in the safety of their own home, they're going to feel comfortable, they're going to feel safe. To press forwards with other Yeah, and then they create the relationship with the instructor mm. to then be able to hopefully move them into the mainstream classes and then be able to do it. Has this been done before by anyone else? I mean, I don't, I'm learning to dance, but... Well, I've done I a bit really of research of and I've not heard of it. Um, I'm currently trying to do a... Try to get a grant from the council to see if they'll support me on it as well. They're doing like a... The Prospect Council are doing a innovation and I think like entrepreneurial grant. Yeah. So I'm trying to get a bit of money from them just because I do have to double up on a lot of the, like, different things I have at the studio, so iPads, speakers, and things like that, because I do still want the studio to run. Yeah, so you need to leave the studio equipment there, and then also have a second set of equipment to take out to the houses. And then it's figuring out whether I hire someone for the studio or I hire someone for the backyard dance classes. Like, I want to be able to do it all, but I can't, and I don't want to leave... I don't want to get too far away from my studio because that is also my name, but I don't also want to train someone to do something that I've not even done before. Has this idea come about from COVID-19 and the restrictions that you've had in place on your business and just trying to overcome them and yeah, that's that's so kind of led to this? I've always tried to figure out a way to help those children, especially who find group and social like situations very difficult, but I never thought of going to their houses. I grew up with no babysitters, no nannies, no anyone coming into our house unless they were seeing us. So yeah. in my eyes, I was kind of like, what parent would want a child, like a parent, like an instructor to come in and teach their child in their backyard? But I've actually talked to a few different people and it's really common now. People get tutors, they get yeah. piano instructors, like everyone goes to people's houses now. Yeah, it's definitely a market for it in the way that yeah. it's been applied to everything else. But dance. Except dance. Or physical activity. So that's the other thing I'm looking at. Do I not just narrow it down to dancing? Do I do it as, you know, sports and activities like a, I don't know, a fitness circuit or a netball kind of clinic? Yeah. Just things to get kids moving. Well, I imagine if like your existing customer base would already be interested in it. I imagine there'd be yeah. some that would want, you know, an extra session a week on the weekend. or Yeah, but... That's the part I don't want to. I don't want to take people away from my studio because that's the part I'm trying to figure out. Because yeah. I still pay. A, I have a lease. I have a a year's lease there. Yeah. 
and I still want that to run. That is still my main goal. For me, this is something that's on the side and, I mean, some people will use it for the convenience factor, but yeah. I'm hoping more that people will use it for their children that struggle and then try yeah. and bring them back to the studio because... I mean, private lessons are amazing and to watch someone grow, but I think the most rewarding part of it is watching a group dance on stage, seeing them not do it well, and then all of a sudden them coming together and working as a team. Because although you are an individual dancer, at some point in your life, you're going to have to do something in a group. And it's really about teamwork. So it's what I want to do, but I think it's a good way to get kids in. Yeah, exactly right. So you're quite young, Claire. I am. 19. You are too. So am I, yes. I can't talk. <laughs> but what's it like being young and running a dance studio and like how does that impact the business and what parents think and how does the age affect it all? At first it definitely did when my mum would come in and do the admin and... What age did you start the studio by the way? So I created it when I was 16. Yeah, it pretty wasn't young. Pretty young then. It wasn't a studio then, it was a community dance program again through the Prospect Council. That got so big that I had to create it into a studio the following year. So in year 12, I had an ABN, I had, I don't know, I had invoices. I had clients. Clients. And you had year 12 on while Yeah, I had manufacturers, well. I had everything. We brought in a uniform. Um, yeah, I was doing year 12. That was crazy. I managed to somehow convince the school my mum did to make that a subject. Yeah, you've... Um, twisted someone's arm there. Yeah, <laughs> to do integrated learning. Um, but it just was simply too much to do that because that was not even a subject. That was just... Yeah. Where did the idea to come to start all this run-your-own-dance empire? Yeah, so I had a boss that I worked for and I love the woman to bits. I really admire her and what she's done. She's got a family, she runs a school, but... There was, in my eyes, a couple of cultural differences um, in me working for them. Um, I'm not going to say it's right or wrong what they did, but the culture that was kind of pushed upon the kids was if they were saying, ow, you still push them further because they really wanted their kids to be flexible and, you know, to do really well. And I do understand that, but the way I've been brought up, that if you're in any pain that's causing a child to say, ow, you get them to stop. So... I guess for them, I wasn't hard enough on the kids. And then when I was hard on them because, you know, they weren't doing the right thing or just anything and giving them, you know, I was telling them off basically because they weren't, they were being naughty and rude. Then I got told off because the kids were then scared of me. And I was, I just, there was nothing I could do that could win because I was either not pushing them hard enough or I was giving them too much discipline. And I was like, there needs to be something in between. And I, that's what I pride myself on. I have great relationships with my kids, but I am tough on them because I don't want them to get away with things because mm. they know I'm young. Yeah, is that hard? Because, I mean, my team, we're still teenagers and kids. I know. So that is hard, but it also is amazing because I get to relate to the kids and understand the kids. I don't understand everything, which I think has been a little bit of an issue being so young. I have missed out on a lot of different things Yeah. For personally. So I didn't know about TikTok until like two months ago. <laughs> and the kids had been learning the dance and they were showing me. And I was like, oh, that's really good to make that up at home. They're like, Miss Claire, it's a TikTok dance. And I was like, oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Where have I been? Yeah. So I think the parents have really gained respect for me now. 
I think we're finally at a point where the age isn't seen as an issue because this is my sole focus. Yeah. But for me, it's really impacted my life socially and just being a 19 year old yeah it's pretty full on when you're 19 and you've got yeah you just how many kids do you dance with so i have well before covid i nearly had 70 that's going to drop back now because some parents the kids tried online and they didn't like it so they've now got an idea in their head that i don't like dance so some kids won't come back because of that but i reckon i will probably sit at about i don't know mid 50s when i go back so It's it's quite a lot yeah, I mean, when I was getting up to those 70s, it was getting to a point where I was able to earn a wage off of it, Yeah, and it was all looking really positive, but then obviously Corona happened. Yeah, what does the future look like for the school? Like, where, what's your end goal for it? What's your dream? Like, what, where do you see your business being in five years' time? It's really strange, because when everyone always asks me this, and where I see the future of the studio going... I can't actually see the future of the studio. I can only see the future of my business ideas. What does that mean? So I don't see me having this huge, ginormous studio and that's it. I see all the other businesses that I've created in that time. So I don't want to put... Like, I basically don't want to put all my eggs into this one basket. Like, it's always going to be my baby and it's always going to be my priority and I will always be around for it. But, again, I want to do, you know, these backyard dance classes and... I still want to start my activewear label, which I've been talking about for years and years and years. And I want to just, I don't know, I want to start lots of little things and then figure out where my passions lie and then delegate. And they'll always be with dance, Mm. but whether or not I am running the studio or I'm running backyard dance classes or I'm running, I don't know, anything else. What's been the biggest challenge you've come across starting all these? Is it getting clients? Is it... You know, um, it? it's getting clients. I think it's just learning how to deal with like a conflict of interest compared to yours. Um, some parents really hit you hard with what they think and what they feel, and that has to be what yeah. goes. And that's understandable. Parents are quite yeah. serious about their children, as yeah, they should, as they should be. And I guess that is the downfall of being nineteen. I don't have the life experience to help me understand them fully. Yeah, so, it can be intimidating, I guess. Yeah, I do need to talk to parents and have them to guide me. And I've been so lucky to have such a supportive family, mm. but I do need them to guide me in how I should handle situations because the way the way I see the situation, I should just immediately apologise and just quickly fix it and then brush it aside. But by apologising, I'm basically telling them that yeah. I think what I did was wrong. Yeah, it's so, not... especially this year, I've learnt to explain the situation and apologise for the way they're feeling, but not apologise for my actions unless it is something I have yeah. done wrong. and that's part of the thing. When you've got 50 to 70 kids, you've got yeah. 140 parents who you've got yeah. to communicate with and get to know yeah. and foster the relationship as well. You know? Yeah, so a lot of it is just, it's not actual issues that happen at the studio. Individual issues that happen at the studio... Um, I deal with separately, but what I'm more talking about is kind of policies we have in place. So we have a policy that everyone has to pay the costume fee um, each term and that pays off your costume for the end of the year. And some parents want to wait a term before they pay their costume fee and wait to the second term. But it's me, instead of just saying, yes, that's fine, wait to the second term and allowing everyone to have all these you know, exceptions to the rules and things like that, I've got to explain, no, the reason why we have it in place is I pay deposits on these costumes from early in the year because we're actually working with America and our seasons are back to front. 
So their summer costumes are being released in our winter. Yeah. And when our concert's happening, they're releasing all of their winter costumes. Yeah, and it's hot sense. here. So I need to actually start ordering them or putting just deposits down six on... Six months earlier. Yeah, six months earlier on what yeah. I want and, you know, to guarantee yeah. it. Because then you're on payment plans. Like you don't... You, you can't afford to just upfront fork out $6,000 or even more of that on costumes. Yeah, sure. And if you have the money in your bank account and you keep it till term four, the chances are you're going to forget about that being the money and you're going to spend it. Yeah, exactly. So if you spend it as soon as you get it, then you can't use it on anything else. Yeah. But it's just explaining that to parents. And like nine out of ten times, they'll fully understand that, but it's just the process yeah. of having to explain everything time. in great detail many times. Yeah. Because you can't put that on an enrolment sheet. That would be three pages long explaining it. Yeah, exactly right. Which... So... It's a bit of an issue, isn't it, with dance studios? The fact that you have to have a person... It's not an issue, but it's, it's just a very hard thing to manage is that connection with yeah. relationships you have with individuals. Like it's... Yeah. So, for me, firstly, it's always going to be the relationship with the child. You want them to be able to trust you and to be comfortable around you. But a very, very close second is the parent. Yeah, well, I mean, the parents one paying for it yeah. and, and driving the kids there every day. And... and especially the ones that do competitions and extras, they're putting their trust in you that, you know, they're going to get the best experience from that, whether or not that is a first place or it's them gaining more stage experience. They're putting all of that trust into your hands. What do you think's made you be confident enough to go out and do your own shit in life and pursue these ideas, Claire? And Because most 19-year-olds don't go and do this. No. So what's made you different or special? What part of your brain is, you know, what do you think has made you do all this instead of choosing to go to uni and get a degree? Yeah. Like a lot of your friends are, I imagine. I don't know. My mum's always told me that whenever she tells me the story all the time from when I was a small child and we'd be walking along the main road and whenever there's like a local election or anything like that, all of the different people running for seats and things like that, they all have their face yeah. on a board. And I asked my mum how I could get my face on one of them one day. Like I just wanted to be doing something from a small age. I told my mum when I was nine that I wanted to have a dance school and mum was like, you don't understand, you need a lot of money to do that. Yeah. And I never actually anticipated this to happen. Yeah. The community program, I thought I would be running a community program as a part-time job yeah. while I was at uni, while I was doing year 12. And then once I started it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And then ever since then, my mind just does not rest. So how does someone get started doing something like, not necessarily your business, but how does someone yeah. get started in doing their own thing? Like. If people, someone's at uni and they don't want to be at uni and they hate that and they hate their job, yeah. what do you tell them to do? Well, I guess kind of like what you've done. I just suggest that anyone, whatever their passion is, whether it be, I don't know, digital marketing or it be dancing or art, just start off something small and low budget. So whether or not you start, if anyone doing like a physical exercise or wanting to teach a service, mm. I really recommend community programs. Get in touch with your local council or with a council. The chances are they probably do have halls or they do have spaces yeah. they're willing to hire to you. They've always got grants running. Um, a lot of them are really supportive if it means, you know, a community, like a community hub can be made and that someone yeah. can come to that and it's bringing members of the community um, there. The only part with that is the community well, with the community aspect is that you can't, you can't charge. It's not for profit, yeah. Yeah, so you can't charge high fees. But if you're wanting to just figure out 
if you like it, mm. not earning any money is the best way to do that because it shows you if yeah. you want to do it before you really dive in and spend lots of money. So I guess for you, that was, you know, creating a website. Yeah, and doing free work. and Doing free yeah. work, figuring out if you like it. And then once, you know, you do figure out that is your passion, then spending the money on advertising and marketing or for me, expanding it into exactly right. a business that the government now has to recognize because, you know, yeah. I'm doing tax returns on it. <laughs> exactly right. So it's quite intimidating though to go and do this isn't it like you can't be a well i say you can't be or if you can hear that we're actually sitting in a car and it's raining on the windscreen so if you hear some pitter patter that's what it is (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah you can't it's not it's not an easy thing to do to go and take this first step to no go invest time and money and why i did it was not actually because i decided to do it it's going to kind of sound like I'm, you know, bragging and stuff like that. But when I was doing my community program, the parents nominated me to be the junior citizen of the year um, for my council, so the prospect community, and I won it. And from winning that, you have to go to meetings at the council, you have to have dinners with the mayor, you have Fun. to get up on a stage and you have to accept your award. And because of that, I was in year 11 when all of this happened and it made me grow up. Yeah. Like, I was already really mature, but I was still partying. I was still doing that. I didn't stop any of that, but I had to learn how to be someone who owns a studio and someone who's 17 years old. So if you look at my Facebook, it's completely transparent. Any face, um, any parent now could add me and I would accept them. Once upon a time, I didn't. Yeah. Everything was super separated, but now I just don't have any content on there. That... Yeah, you've got to manage a public figure or your public. Yeah, I don't want to seem like I'm hiding anything, but... By those parents nominating me and by me receiving that award, it pushed me to grow up. And then once I grew up, I almost just couldn't stand being around people who weren't grown up. Yeah, you... And that was tough again socially. Yeah. I felt like I did grow up so young. I don't live like a regular 19 anymore, like year old anymore. I don't go to pre's. I don't go to parties. I don't do mm. anything. And it has affected me socially. I don't have a big, as big of a circle as I thought I would at my age, but... You just got different priorities. I guess the expectations people have of you are totally different. Like you and yourself as well. Like yeah. You just have different expectations to what someone would have at their uni because this is you're trying to build your own career. Yeah. It's hard. It's like you're trying to I don't know, it's like someone's trying to sell apples to me and then I'm trying to sell oranges to them. Yeah. And I it's literally all it is. I think a lot of people like to talk about entrepreneurship and start your own business is an easy yeah. thing to do and uh, it's fun and, I mean... It's hard. It's like opening it is the easiest thing in the world, but keeping yeah. it is the hardest challenge that you will ever face. Yeah, and I don't know if, like... I mean, I've got my own business. I don't know if it's fun some days when you're alone trying to figure out stuff. and. It can be frustrating not getting answers straight away and I think that's the part where... I try to explain to people who are going to university and stuff like that, but we don't have a curriculum to follow. And I yeah. think that's the toughest part. When you're at uni, you know, assignments are tough and I sympathise with those people. Like, I can't understand, you know. I've got friends, you know, doing midwifery. I had sisters' friends doing nursing and things like that. And especially anything in a medical field, you've still got placements and it's unpredictable and things like that. But at the same time, there still is an expectation from you and there's a a guideline and there's a curriculum that you follow. When you're in that hospital, you're only allowed to do certain tasks. Yeah. So it limits to what can go wrong and what's actually going to be your fault or what's yeah. not going to be your fault. But when you're creating 
basically the curriculum for yourself. It's you're not sure if you're there's no plan. You're not sure if you're setting your bar too high or you're setting it too low. If you could be charging more or you could be charging less. You not sure if you're earning enough or if it's just the beginning and you need to leave it longer. I guess it's a society we're kind of taught to follow from primary school. We're instructed by our teachers to follow a path and then in high school it's the same thing and then we're told to go to university and then we're told to get a job. We've kind of had our hand held the whole way along growing up. So like to step out of that and not have anyone's hand to hold, that makes it quite difficult Yeah. figure out the answer. But I guess that's part of the fun of it. It is. I don't know if it was the same for you and why you went to uni and then decided not to continue uni anymore. And I had enrolled into university. Yeah. I was going to go. I'd filled everything out. I was ready to go for my first day. I personally found, I think it also could have been the school that we went to, that they just pushed and almost brainwashed you that uni was the perfect path and that was how you, that was how you're going to reach all of your goals and then you leave school and you've got no one telling you that anymore and then I don't know if it was for you if you got there or it was for me as I was you know actually thinking about going to my first day and I was like I don't actually want this yeah it's quite interesting it wasn't what I wanted but I was just convinced that's what I did want um neither of my parents went to university so yeah. I didn't feel any pressure for my parents to go. Not my parents, no, I didn't either. But school, I did. School, there was definitely a pressure from the school. And I guess from a social perspective, there's also the pressure from your friends who are also yeah. doing uni as well. Yeah. When I went to uni, I didn't enjoy it because it was too much hand-holding still. They just yeah. they told you what that you don't needed to be done, and I didn't agree with a lot of it. And yeah. I was studying marketing, and I disagreed with what... They, they were, were teaching, teaching me, and they were referencing facts from 1998. Yeah. And I'm like, it is 2019, back when I was at uni, 2019, and yeah. I'm like, you've got to update your sources. The internet wasn't around in 98 as it is yeah. today. So that was kind of like the straw that broke comes back for me, is when I was realised what they're teaching me wasn't really that relevant. Yeah. And I'm paying a lot of money for it. Yeah, exactly. That was... The thing for me, I knew I could not go to uni full-time, so I, any degree I had, I had to double it, and then I thought, you know what, I'd add a couple of years on top of that as well, just because not every year I would be able to complete four subjects, and I just looked at myself and I was like, do I really want to spend 10 years trying to become a physiotherapist to, you know, focus on dance injuries, Yeah. and then what happens in 10 years' time if I paid all this money, and then I don't have a passion for that anymore? Exactly right. And, um, how or do I you... even get halfway through. What was the point of all of that? Yes, it will help with my dancing, but there's other courses I could do to educate myself on. I don't think it's the best system we have, uni. I think it should be modified to give people more... I love how apprenticeships work and how yeah. you can... Go, you know, do it, sign up. Yeah. You can pretty much quit whenever you want, really. You just yeah. got to, you know, leave your boss. But then after three years, you're fully qualified. You've been paid for three years. Yeah. A minimal wage, but you've learned and worked at the same time. Yeah. And then you come out after three years with a pretty yeah. much job guaranteed if you stick around with your employer who's employed you. Yeah. I think that um, my sister studied marketing and communications, and I would love... I've never asked her, but I would love to know now that she actually works at the university, advertising university in the marketing department, I would love to know actually how much of what she learnt at university became relevant to her job. I think you've just got to have a mind for it. And in the end, if you don't, she has just written a children's book. She's got a very, very active mind. Yeah, she's And she, she saw there was a market 
for teaching children what their parents do when they go to work and what they do when they leave you. And for me, I feel like that was more her marketing mind that enabled her to create the book. You've got to be good at English if you're doing marketing. You know, you've got to be creative. You've got to have an active mind. So I just don't actually know how much from university would actually be applied to what she's doing today. I've got to ask her. I've honestly got to ask her. I always want to do it, but I never have. Is uni going to be obsolete in 20 years' time, do you think? I don't think uni is going to exist. I think, obviously, uni has got to be there for doctors, and it's got to be there for people who are actually affecting Mm. and physically changing people's lives. But I don't know. I I honestly think the world should go back into reverse what it was like with our parents. My mum left school at 15, got a full-time job at the bank. You know? Yeah, exactly. Why are we being forced to stay in school? There's... Like, my boyfriend, he lives in the country, and then they're not pushed to stay in school, and a lot of them do yeah. leave, and they're not qualified with uni like degrees, but, you know, they're earning well above minimum wage, a lot of them, and they're still really successful. Is it a city thing? I think Is it's it... a city thing. I don't know. It's a city thing to be pushed into the system, and... I think that no one ever gave us the option. And I think it also does depend on where you are, you know. Just our school, we were lucky enough to be in a wealthy area. So a lot of the kids there did have the facilities at home. Not everyone, but still being a public school, if you did need it, I I had the option if I was struggling to be able to have a tutor. Yeah. My parents were able to afford that, but not everyone is able to afford those extra things if you need them. And we just were never really told that dropping out was an option. And um, When you see a guidance yeah. counsellor, they never said, well, maybe have you thought of, you know, leaving school and trying to pursue yeah. that? I got told I was putting too many of my eggs into the dance bar- basket and that I wasn't giving myself another, enough options to do study elsewhere. And I was like, well, I don't want to. The unis kind of have the high schools in their pockets, don't they, with all the marketing they do and... Yeah. Like, really, when we were in year 12, we would get a presentation from different uni every yeah. week, trying to convince us to go with them because they're the funnest uni. And yeah. This, you know? It's funny, because when you talk to someone one-on-one about it, um, I actually spoke to my sister about it because she did it, and she actually said to me, Claire, uni, I don't know if it's going to help you. Yeah. And I think that if you were to talk to people from university one-on-one, they wouldn't push you to do it. But I think we get these group speeches from the uni that confuse us. So then we go and talk to a teacher at school yeah. and they've all been to uni. So then they it's push you yeah. to go to university. But I feel like if we actually had the opportunity to talk to people from universities more, they would be like, look, this is what uni is. It's either for you or it's not. But we get the speech... And then we then have to get guidance from other people who have all gone to uni. Do schools need to be teaching other options and do they need to be... I mean, well, we, get, didn't, yeah. we didn't get a talk from TAFE. Yeah, not really, did we? No. I mean, they talked to us about apprenticeships sometimes, but they didn't. it wasn't pushed nearly as we much as We were told uni university and, like, what was the other one? Join the army and study yeah. through the army. Mm. I was like, oh, I don't think so. Well, it could be fun. Could be fun, but I can't <laughs> run a fun. dance school from the army. Yeah, exactly right. Because I think schools kind of failed kids in that way that they only get pushed to do one thing. And obviously, coming from a wealthy school, yeah, it was a strict expectation to go to yeah. uni. And maybe it's different in other schools. Yeah. But I do think we failed kids in the way that we pressure them to 
feel like they can only succeed by going down this path. Yeah. And I think that's kind of coming up in conversation now amongst people. Yeah. Especially as people realise the financial pressure they put themselves under when they yeah. go to uni and, I think and they get... It's a bit of everything. Like, when we were in year 12, we thought the people who did art were crazy because if they did art, they'd put all this hard work in and then it's going to get scaled at the end. But really, when you think about it, if you're actually picking things based on what you enjoy and what you're good at, who cares what your ATAR is? Exactly right. But everyone cares about what subject they did to make sure they didn't get scaled or if they did get scaled, well, okay, I'm going to get scaled. I've got to get an A plus now to make sure that I can't actually yeah. get scaled. I've got to get a merit because if you get a merit, you can't get scaled. And, you know, working all this stuff out. And I'm like, it was just crazy. The mental health aspect of it, the pressure put on kids, was pretty extreme. We had a lot of friends that were very intense about... Oh, 100%. I got the lowest ATAR in my group. And I still got in the 80s. Yeah, you did all Low right. 80s. Yeah. But um, I reckon over half of my friendship group got over 95. Yeah, they did pretty well. And... It's just crazy. I remember going out, once I was 18, I remember going out every single weekend. I was going to all the different parties. I was doing all of this, all of that, and I've, I've turned out fine. Yeah. And I think they don't tell you enough about that in school. They tell you that ATAR is going to decide your life, essentially. Yeah. They like to pretend that your ATAR is going to determine what university degree yeah. you do, and then that's going to determine the rest of your life. Yeah. And they don't ever tell you that you can go to a stat test or something to get... No, I don't even know there was a stat test. Yeah, and then you can go get, a, you know, a number that lets you get into yeah, any course, or basically. Yeah, you can basically get into TAFE, and if you do a high enough course, that will actually be, you know... Transitioned you in. I transition you in, because yeah. some of them, you know, overlap. Like, it's not the only It's not the thing. only method. But, in that way, schools never taught us about how to start your own business, or... No, they don't teach you anything about real life. I don't understand mortgages. I don't understand the bank. No one does. I don't understand any (laughs) of that. But in the end, we have to learn this somehow. And why aren't we learning it as a part of our education? Well, I think that's probably more important than a lot of things that hold us at school. 100%. Who needs to know about algebra and things? Like, they need to divide everything into what's important. Yeah, and I think that's just better for everyone's mental health as well. Yeah, like we stressed ourselves about how to use a graphics calculator. Well, unless you're becoming a scientist or an architect or anything that actually involves maths, yeah. there is no need. People don't even know how to add up quick maths at all. If you're at a supermarket, there you could be standing in front of the brightest kid in the whole entire world and they'd still need a calculator to work out your change. We're not taught how to learn that maths or... You know, times tables aren't important anymore yeah. and things like that because we've all got a calculator. But in the end, that calculator means absolutely nothing unless you're going into a field that requires you to have that yeah, calculator. Do that in your extreme life. level of maths. Yeah. Unless you're doing an extreme level of math, there was no need to have ever a graphics calculator. Yeah. It just I, confused me and put stress on me to learn yeah, it. And that was, I think, my least favorite thing about school was the whole pressure that was put on you yeah. and the expectations from teachers yeah. and parents. And I hope to see that stigma get changed over the. My lifetime. Yeah, you know. but I just, I can't see it happening. I can't see it happening while there's still a private and public system. I can't see any of that happening. There's going to be a stigma around everything. Everything that we do is driven by money. Yes, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing because it's worked for us as a society. We're pretty fortunate. Yeah. But it's also got flaws. Yeah, definitely. so there would be different opportunities at a different school that had less money. 
than yeah. at the school we had. We came from probably a very, very wealthy... I remember the teachers talking once about the money the government gives them per child to be at the school. It's pretty good. But then on top of all of the achievements the school's getting, there'd just be more and more money coming into it. Yeah, we probably went to the wealthiest school, the wealthiest public school yeah. in the state. We have international students, but there's some schools that wouldn't get international students to come to them because they're not considered as one of the yeah. top-ranked schools. So, you know, parents overseas don't send their children there. So I would love to know, like, the opportunity difference. Like, there, yeah. it would be huge. What would you say to a student now if you could go coach or mentor a child that just started a high school and said to you, Claire, I don't want to go down the regular path of uni. What would you tell them to do? What would you tell them to study? What would you tell them to pursue? How would you... What would you go about telling them and giving them advice? I think it would depend on what they wanted to do. I think if they're wanting to get into, you know, getting into like a labouring job or something like that, then I'd 100% recommend them to leave school as soon as possible and go and do it. But if there was someone like me that had, well, you and I, and they had a mindset that was, you know, entrepreneurial-like and they wanted to start a business and things like that, I wouldn't actually recommend them to leave school. Yeah. I think leaving school, it really, as I said before, I found that this has been quite an isolating experience because no one is doing what I'm doing. So there's no, you know, catching up with friends at uni and things like that. And it's very easy to get trapped into your own world and to lose a lot of friendships and connections over it. Mm. So for that sense, I would tell people to stay in. But I think my biggest piece of advice would be just don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Yeah, I mean... One person got a MacBook in my friendship group. Everyone then got a MacBook in my friendship group. And I looked like I followed that trend. But the only reason I bought a MacBook is because I don't know how to edit music on a Windows. <laughs> and <laughs> GarageBand is the easiest thing. And I actually did music at high school. I was a muso nerd at Marriottville. And we learned how to do music editing on GarageBand. I literally got taught by a professional how to do it. And that was the only way I knew how to do it. And my laptop broke. And... At this point in time, I was already running a dance school and needed to edit music. Yeah. So I bought one. But I think for a lot of people, they bought a Mac because, not attacking any of my friends, but they bought a Mac because, you know, it looks cool to have a Mac. But I'm not sure anyone was actually buying it for the purpose of what a Mac can offer. Yeah. Everyone wanted new iPhones and things like that. I was terrible with that. I would break an iPhone and then I'd get a new one. Yeah. But why not just buy a second-hand phone? Who cares if you don't have the newest iPhone and... In- and because of that, I followed the uni trend until I left school. And because I wasn't surrounded by everyone every day, I stopped following the trends. Because you've made some interesting life decisions in the fact that you've decided not to go to uni and you started your own dance school. Yeah. Someone said to me, you know, when everyone's zigging, it's important to zag and yeah. know, do different things like that. And I think that's a really interesting way to live life by. I think you've probably yeah. followed that to a T. Yeah, just be different. Who cares like- if you're different? Just... I was a six foot two giant in high school who played sport and that was loud and did okay, but didn't really do okay and just was just there. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty intimidating. Yeah. And I was doing bold things and I, I don't know. I was just kind of living. I was, I was branded the girl in year 12 with two phones. Everyone made a comment about it. You did have two phones, Everyone yeah. had their two cents on it, and I had two phones because I wanted to separate my two lives, and I didn't want to 
honestly get drunk in town one night and someone to find my phone and to send a disgusting message to someone or something that ended up actually being a parent. It's probably really wise. So I decided to separate my life and then I also looked into, you know, the child protection laws and I can't have a photo of my child, of uh, not my child, but a child from the studio yeah. on my personal device. It needs to be on studio property. So I was that really, like, I don't think people thought I was weird, but everyone yeah. Have you embraced different. that role now of being different and... Do you, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you, in your own head, do you look at yourself and think, I've made different life choices for everyone else and I don't regret them or? I don't regret them at all. I'm so happy with what I'm doing. I mean, it's really hard at times. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just hard to be able to kind of feel the same thing that my friends are feeling. But I think the biggest thing I learned from leaving high school and doing this is that Ultimately, there's a lot of people out there who are only going to be your friends to get something from it. Mm. And because of that, I've just created really true relationships with people that are here to support me and here to be with my friend and not trying to take something away from me. And just because I'm not there every second of every day to help them and be there and text them and be around them doesn't mean that, you know what I mean? I'm not their friend. I'm just on a completely different track. What's your, to wrap this up, what's your one piece of advice you'd give to someone who wants to get out there and be different and create their own thing and, you know, not necessarily have their hands held by high school and then uni and then a career. What would you say to someone? Um, My first piece of advice is get a job as young as you can. Uh, Work Yeah, do not wait until year 11 or 12 or after to get a job. Like, as soon as you are 14 years old and nine months, look for a job because the earlier you have a job, and the younger you are, if you're young and you have good work ethic... What was your first job? I worked at Kmart. My first job was at Kmart and I stayed there for five and a half years. It's very dedicated. It's probably the longest anyone's ever worked at Kmart. No, it actually isn't. No. Oh, no, it was four and a half years. Four and a half years, not five and a half, sorry. Um, and the second piece of advice. Well, yeah, it kind of just runs with that. I worked there for four and a half years and by the end of it, I couldn't work a lot of shifts and I couldn't do it, but they knew I had good work ethic and I had good intentions and me cancelling a shift last minute, I didn't look like a fucking idiot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they knew that I was actually being genuine when I couldn't work. Yeah, sometimes you would cancel shifts because you were hungover and shit like that, but for the, for the whole, yeah. it was because I had other shit on and they knew that I was trying to actually do stuff with the money I was earning. And then to follow on with that is if you've got a support system at home or you're living at home rent-free or you don't have any overheads, don't don't save $15,000 by 18. What are you going to do with $15,000? Use your money and go out there yeah. and try and experiment because you've got no idea. Yeah, the world's pretty big and yeah. it's pretty hard to know what you're into. I use this face mask and <laughs> oh, I can't remember the brand. It was created by two dudes. That created a female skincare range and they are earning a lot of money. And they literally just invested their money together, did something, thought, why the hell not, did it, and it's been the most successful thing for them. This goes to show zig whenever I was a zag. Yeah. You can do weird stuff. Money is not everything. I think that's the most important thing. Work ethic and money is not everything. Yeah, not not chasing money, but doing it for a better purpose. I think so many people pick their jobs based on the salary they'll get at the end. I think you're probably right as well. But... In the end, whether or not you live, I don't know, where people think it's bad, down north, yeah. and you're earning 50 grand a year, if you're happy and you are allowing yourself to have some treats and 
you know, expending money on yourself but still supporting mm. yourself in life and you're happy, who cares? I think happiness is definitely underrated. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, we don't really chase it in a way. We chase money yeah. and a career, but we don't ever talk about chasing happiness. Yeah, I talk about it all the time. I'm going to have a Mercedes when I'm older. Well, I'm probably going to have a Mercedes when I'm older because I don't really want all the money to stay in my bank account. Yeah. And for me, I just love the look of the car. <laughs> You're a simple girl. <laughs> simple girl. But at the same time, like, if I don't get that, it's not the end of the world. And I'm not wanting it for the status it's going to give me. I want it because I really love the look of the car. Yeah. And so bring you happiness. Yeah, I love having all of those, you know, reverse sensors and cameras <laughs> and shit in cars. And I would prefer to spend my money on something so stupid like that than have it sitting in a bank account earning interest. Yeah. So I think that's a good point. Spend End it. On. Chase happiness, guys. Do it. Thanks so much, Claire. <laughs> I'm giving her a hug in the car. Thanks for listening, guys. And um, we'll catch you all next time. Yeah.